There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, here we are. We are. Welcome. 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 Episode 163. Sweet. So today we're going to talk about something that came up yesterday. I was on a golf course late yesterday afternoon, Greg. Good for you. Yeah, it was great. It was a beautiful day. It was at Silvertip out in Canmore, which I would highly recommend to anybody that enjoys golfing. Wait, so you're recommending people if they enjoy golf to go to Silvertip Golf Course? Yeah. yeah All I right. Am. Are yeah. we allowed to do that? Well, they're not paying me for oh, that recommendation, so I Excellent. would suggest that it's pretty fair to All say. Right. Yeah, right Beautiful on. scenery. I mean, you're surrounded by the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. So you're overlooking yeah, nice. Three Sisters and all that good stuff. But, yeah. but an interesting question came up with the person I was with yesterday, and they said, how do you know you're dealing with a good financial advisor? Like, what makes a good financial advisor? And that's a pretty open-ended question, and- you know, there's some debate about that. Like, does that just mean that that's somebody that gets you the highest rate of return or is it something else, right? So today we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to dive a little deeper into this topic and we're going to look at some data and insights. Some of those insights and data come from Russell Investments, who put out a report every year called The Value of Advice. But why don't we get into it? You bet. So let's start by looking at some statistics. So according to a survey conducted by the Financial Planning Standards Council... In Canada, in 2021, only 25% of Canadians collaborate with a financial advisor. So that means, obviously, a significant portion of the population might be missing out on professional financial guidance. Yeah, it kind of highlights the need for more awareness about the benefits of perhaps collaborating with somebody that works in that space. And I wonder why that is. Why only 25%? You know, is that a function of what? I don't know. And I know I'm kind of throwing a curveball at you, but I mean, because the same survey also revealed that among those who collaborate with an advisor, 87% reported feeling more confident about their own personal financial situation. So if only 25% are working with somebody, but almost 90% of those people feel better about it. Yeah, well, that's right. You know, and there are certain people, I mean, I imagine, and this is just blue skying here, but I would imagine some people don't work with an advisor because maybe they don't feel they have enough assets to warrant working with an advisor. They might be working with a bank, in which case they are getting some advice, but it's not specific financial advice or investment advice and that kind of thing. But the fact that almost 90% you know, feel more confident in their financial situation is a pretty significant impact. And collaborating with a financial advisor, it provides some guidance, obviously, but also peace of mind. You know, and that's one of the things I think that make investors feel more comfortable, more confident. So let's talk about some of the key attributes to consider when choosing a financial advisor. Well, I think the first is knowledge and ability. There was also, and I hate to say another study, but we're doing this today. We're going to do a few study references. This one done by the Canadian Securities Administrators or the CSA. And in that study, they referenced that 84% of advisors have at least one professional designation. 
And that's probably really important. You know, it's kind of like you wouldn't go to a doctor who didn't have the proper licensing. Exactly. And we've talked about this in the past as well. I mean, it's not only, you know, sort of having a designation, but the continuing education and the commitment to that, because like most other industries, the financial services industry changes fairly rapidly. And it's important for people to stay up on changes, just like it is for doctors, lawyers, and any other professionals. Well, I know that when I did the CIMA, C-I-M-A, which you yes, also have. Correct. When I completed that designation, I counted the letters after my name. I'd never done that before. And there were 14 letters from different designations. Now, of course, you don't put all those on a business card because, I don't know, it would be kind of like breaking. <laughs> but, but I mean, if people ever want to talk about what those designations mean, because there's a lot of different designations out there, right? That's right. And yeah. some of them are more meaningful, I think, than others, right? Yeah, agreed. Well, and another interesting finding from the same study is that 72% of Canadians surveyed show they prefer advisors who offer comprehensive financial planning services rather than just investment advice. And this highlights the growing demand for what they call holistic financial planning. And we've talked about that a lot, about how our industry has changed and how, you know, we've gone from being stock brokers and stock traders 20, 30, 40 years ago to focusing very significantly on goal setting and financial planning. Yeah. And this came up in the discussion I referenced yesterday where the person had mentioned, do people just look for the highest rate of return? And the answer to that to me was no, they look for what you just mentioned, financial planning, having a good understanding of that financial picture, maybe some budgeting, tax planning, retirement planning, of course, could be education planning, could be long-term care planning. I mean, it's essential to find somebody that you're working with or somebody to work with that can provide an integrated strategy that's very well-rounded. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about the impact of working with a financial advisor on long-term financial outcomes. You know, it's good to know, is there any benefit that translates into actual, actual outcomes? And there was a study conducted by Vanguard in 2020 that found collaborating with an advisor can potentially add around 3 to 4% net returns over time. And that can make a significant difference in achieving, you know, your financial goals. Well, if you're getting an extra 3% per year, you don't have to be a mathematician to understand the value of that and the compounding nature of that. So that's a pretty impressive figure. And it does sort of point out the value of professional advice. And and Greg, I mean, I know people are listening are going to be like, well, you guys are biased. Sure. Of course we're biased. Self-serving, of course. Yeah. And I think the answer to that for me anyway is like, well, we do it because we think it's important. You know, and so when we talk about this, obviously we believe that professional financial advice is valuable because that's what we do. And we do it because we think it has value, not just because it's a way to earn a living. For sure. And we're going to get into some more data later on from Russell Investments about their value of advice. But I'll give you a little bit of the punchline. It sort of correlates exactly to what Vanguard found. And what they talk about is like, you're not getting this extra three to 4% from rate of return of like gross or alpha, right? You're getting it from asset allocation, rebalancing, and behavioral coaching. Yeah. You know, and another crucial aspect to consider is the fiduciary duty of a financial advisor. And again, we've talked about fiduciary duty in the past, not just being that, you know, fiduciary responsibility is a legal obligation to put the client's interests first. And that to most of us seems like, well, of course, that only makes sense. You know, how could you be in a in a business where 
you could put your own interests ahead of your clients or your customers. But that belief is borne out by a survey from the Investment Funds Institute of Canada, which basically identified the fact that 92% of Canadians believe that financial advisors should have a legal obligation to put clients' interests first. And for us, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, we think that should be 100%, really. But the reality is that it just doesn't happen all the time. And just like any other profession, you're going to have different outcomes from different providers. But it's important to understand what that fiduciary expectation is. I think it's really important to seek out an investment professional who adheres to the fiduciary duty. You know, there is a big difference. And I know I had somebody years ago point out the difference between spelling advisor with an ER versus an OR. Yes. Yep. And one implies fiduciary duty where the other one doesn't. And it doesn't really matter for us because we're registered portfolio managers. So we do have fiduciary duty. Yes. But I think that's a very important one to adhere to. It just goes to show, though, how confusing it could be for the public when there's so many different titles of financial advisors, financial planners, advisor with an O as opposed to advisor with an E. And that's why it's really critical, I think, for people to you know understand who you're dealing with. And we're really, we're talking about two things in this podcast. We're talking about the value of an advisor in general, and then we're talking about how to pick an advisor. Mm-hmm. And certainly fiduciary responsibility, being a portfolio manager, et cetera, is one of those things that people might want to consider when they're actually selecting an advisor. And it comes down to trust and integrity, because trust and integrity are really, I think, the keys in this profession. And to further you know, sort of highlight that point, a study by the CFA Institute found that trust is the most crucial factor when selecting a financial advisor, followed by ability and then fees. Yeah. I know maybe a year ago we interviewed Tim Noonan. Do you remember that interview? Yes. He described trust as like air, like you just need it to survive, you know, and it really is the foundation of a successful relationship. And these, when you're working with the right people, these become relationships. These are not like sales activities, right? right? And so it's really vital that when you're working with someone, that they be transparent, that they are able to communicate effectively. It's really easy to get caught up in like industry jargon. I've been in presentations where people are just throwing jargon around like it's just plain English and it's not, right? It's really important to make sure you're working with somebody that has your best interest at heart. So really take the time to research and meet with potential advisors that you believe you'll be able to build that trust with. Yeah, totally. Maybe even the CM group. Maybe, for sure. And let's not forget the importance of ongoing communication and relationship building. I mean, it's known that clients who have regular meetings with their financial advisors tend to be more satisfied and confident in their financial future. And that's just, you know, I guess something that most advisors should follow that idea. Sure. Well, and I've mentioned it in the past, this Deming's model of plan, do, check, act. It's one thing to be working with somebody to come up with the plan then you've got to implement it, which is the do. You've got to have regular communication and reviews, which would be the check. And if something's going offside or down the wrong path, you've got to make adjustments, which is the act, right? So it's really important not to just do a financial plan and just forget about it. It's got to come to life. You've got to be able to really follow each of the parts of that plan. And if it's not working, you've got to have a way of adjusting for it. Right on. Right on. Yeah. So let's talk about this Russell 
yeah. uh, paper that comes yeah. out. Though. We, we mentioned earlier that Vanguard had completed a study that suggested that working with an advisor could add 3 to 4% in returns. And, and Russell Investments, they come out with an annual value of advice report, and the 2023 version is out. And in that report, they look at four factors, which they call A plus B plus C plus T. A stands for active rebalancing of investment portfolios. B stands for behavioral coaching. C stands for customized experience and family wealth planning. And T stands for tax smart planning and investing. So the findings in this report from Russell are that those four areas account for as much as 3.90% in return to clients annually. Which is exactly what Vanguard Right in line with the Vanguard numbers. And so let's break down each area to see how they come up with that number. So I mentioned A stands for active rebalancing, and that doesn't mean active security selection. It simply refers to rebalancing portfolios back to their target asset allocations. So it's the ongoing monitoring and rebalancing to ensure that the portfolio still is in line with the investor's risk profile. And, you know, active rebalancing a portfolio can help keep it in its original asset allocation and keep the investor within their risk comfort zone, which was obviously contemplated and when the original asset allocation strategy was developed. Which would have had to come from some planning. Exactly. So, for example, if an investor bought a hypothetical balanced portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds back in January of 2002, 20 years ago, and it had not been actively rebalanced since then, by the end of 2022, the profile of the portfolio would be dramatically different. So that original balanced portfolio would have become more growth-oriented with about 72% in stocks and only 29% in fixed income. Those numbers don't add up to 100 because of rounding, so my apologies. So with that kind of imbalance, the investor could have experienced a significant drawdown during the kind of equity market retreats we've had in the last couple of years. So the risk of that kind of imbalance in a portfolio is a great argument for actively adjusting the portfolio when there are changes in the markets, even if there may not always be a big impact on returns. The higher the equity allocation, the riskier the portfolio, so the more likely it will become more volatile. And that's often what causes investors to doubt their investment plan and pull money out of the market. So if we look at a typical balanced portfolio held from January of 2002 to December 31st of 2022, we can see that an actively rebalanced portfolio has about a 0.17, call it 0.2% higher return than a non-balanced one with pretty much the same volatility. And that doesn't sound like a lot, like 17 basis points, nope. but that's annually. Annually compounded For over 21 20 years. years. Absolutely. That's going to make a pretty significant difference. Okay, so that was A. So let me talk about B, behavioral coaching. Behavioral finance has become something that I've been passionate about. I know you have as well. You've done an actual, you know, some designation courses exactly. in that, right? Yeah, that's right. Many investors probably saw how U.S. stocks soared in recent years and may have jumped on the bandwagon. So this, I'm not talking about like during sell-offs, but during the non-sell-off periods. And a lot of this is because people are ruled by their emotions. So without proper guidance, many of these investors, you know, would buy high and sell low, which is the typical, it's not even American. It's like Canadian, American, Australian, European, Japanese. It's human. It's just what we do. And this was clear, very clear in a couple of points of time. You know, one of them would be like 2007, 2008, right? The global financial crisis. But more recently, the pandemic in 2020, 
where the U.S. stock market fell about 35% in just a matter of weeks in March of 2020. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, well, it was obviously terrible. And if anybody pulled out of the market at that time, they locked in losses and they would have led to them missing out on some pretty significant returns in rallies, right? right? And there's a lot of work out there that shows, you know, if you miss the best few good days or the best few weeks or weeks and a few months, the massive impact to portfolio returns. So, so as such, Russell Investments finds that without proper guidance, when looked at over a three-decade period, the average investor returns were about 1.95% lower annually than the overall market returns. Yeah. So that's the number that they come up with, the 1.95. So B equals 1.95. Yeah, it's pretty sobering, isn't it? That just having your money in the market, we spend so much time and and many investors spend so much time trying to figure out, well, what's the right, what should I hold? Should I buy stocks? Should I buy bonds? Should I buy dividend stocks? Should I buy trusts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they spend a lot of time worried about that. And if they had just bought the market index and just hung on to it, they would have done 1.95% better than they did. So that's definitely a sobering number. Well, I've been around it and you have too. I mean, during 2007, 2008, I remember one particular person when the market was down 50%, they talked about selling out their portfolio. We talked about how we thought that's a mistake, that if you're selling out, you're locking in these losses forever. And their comments were, well, when things look better, we'll get back in, which as we've talked in the past, sounds a lot like, I don't know, buying high and selling low, exactly, which is exactly opposite of what you want. And of course, by the time things look better, then that person looks in and says, well, I don't want to buy in now because it's it's more expensive. So I'll wait for it to sell off again. But if it doesn't sell off again, because you have like a major rally, then what? You've missed out. That's not 1.95% a year. That's like a much bigger number. For sure. And this whole concept of behavioral coaching, I mean, now you called it the bandwagon effect. And now, of course, they call it FOMO, fear of missing out. And what's interesting is people sell at the bottom because they're terrified. You know, they've lost half their investment and they might lose it all. And people buy on the way up in FOMO periods because they feel like they're missing out. And it's very different. I mean, it's interesting because it's a very different emotional thing that's going on in people's heads. But both can be, both can be wrong decisions. It's like buying a tulip in 1762. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and tulips are lovely. <laughs> they are, yeah. As Anyways. long as you're not paying thousands of dollars for one. Yeah, yeah. That's another reference we'll get to another time. Okay, so that was A and B. So C, C is customized experience and family wealth planning. So this refers to the different generational wealth transfer of clients. It also talks about the need to cater to preferences and needs of each different demographic group and how advisors are now often supplying more holistic wealth management services to clients and their families, which I think is a good thing. It's not so focused on the shiny object, you know, what stock is going up. It's more focused on, well, how much risk do you need to take on versus how much risk should you take on? Yeah, so it's really talking about just lifelong planning through different generations. And, and you know, everybody's got different phases. They've got the accumulation phase where you're just sort of starting to, well, accumulate things, right? Maybe you're just getting married. Maybe you're buying your first house. You're maybe having your first child, things like that. 
And there's different stresses, different situations that come into play during an accumulation phase. You've got more of a preservation stage, which is probably the peak of your earning years, right? Just before retirement, where you're in the sandwich generation. I find myself, I'm in a little bit of this right now, Greg. You know, I've got parents that I have had to start taking some care of in different ways. And I've got kids that I'm obviously taking care of in different ways. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. And some of that's financial, some of it's not. Maybe managing things like health, tax burdens. But then you've got a distribution phase. So where, you know, people are living longer and maybe going into long-term care or or maybe their goal is to create a legacy, a family legacy. So all of these steps require planning, right? And it's not a one-time stop. It's not it's not like you can do a plan when you're 30 and it's going to be true till you're 80. Like that's a bunch of I was going to say a bad word there. That doesn't work very well. That sounds like a garbage to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it just doesn't work. I mean, your plan is going to be adjusted and should be adjusted over time. And so, so I think advisors, their job is to continually be working to adjusting the plan to align with people's changing needs. And it's worth saying that this work, according to Russell Investments, anyways, the work they've done on it provides about 1.1% per year in return. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. And so the last letter being T, which stands for tax smart planning and investing. This comes up, you know, fairly regularly with us because, you know, without proper tax management, many investors are paying more taxes than they need to every April. You know, there's a myriad of taxes that can be triggered by our investments. Dividends are taxed. Capital gains are taxed. You can get taxed on the sale of shares. And tax-aware advisors who structure a portfolio and choose solutions that help minimize investment taxes can supply significant value. So without proper tax management, many investors are paying more taxes than they need to. You know, so there's all of these different types of taxes. And for example, one of the things that people can do when they're looking at funds is, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in the past as well. I mean, many mutual funds, stock funds I'm thinking of, they have very high turnovers in the portfolio. So they may be turning over the portfolio maybe even 100% a year, 50 to 100%, which means that they're constantly selling shares, taking capital gains, reinvesting those gains. And at the end of the year, of course, all of those taxable gains have to be distributed to shareholders or unit holders of those mutual funds. And so by having a high turnover type mutual fund, you might get much higher taxable distributions in any one year than you would by investing with a fund that has lower turnover. And so if the fund is only turning over 5 to 10% of the portfolio, they're triggering much fewer capital gains, and therefore there will be lower distributions and less taxes to pay. And what about asset location when it comes to taxes? Absolutely. You know, so when you're looking at a client's overall portfolio, well, it does make sense to have interest-bearing investments like bonds in registered accounts or, or certainly tax-deferred or tax-free accounts, whereas capital gains type of investments or dividend investments would be best suited to a non-registered account. And then, of course, you've got your tax-free savings accounts where you can pretty much put anything you want in there because, of course, you'll never pay tax on any of the returns no matter how they're earned. So Russell Investments has calculated that the tax, T, supplies as much as 0.68% to an investor's overall return. So there you have it. Add up A plus B, plus C, plus T, and that works out to 3.9%. 
Yeah. And I mean, this is obviously not work that we've done. This is work that they've done, but it also correlates exactly with what Vanguard says as well. And again, people are going to say that we're somewhat biased. Of course we are, because I think we do a good job for clients and, you know, helping navigate through all kinds of stormy weather, right? And it's really easy to be invested when the market's up or going up. Not so easy when the market is going through other things. And so you really need to have a good strategy, a good plan, get to that rebalancing, have a financial plan, adjust it, stick to it, whatever. Work with somebody that you trust, right? Well said. I don't know. I I feel like that wasn't really well said, but... Excellent (laughs) summation. Okay. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week. Yeah. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.